welcome to my series of podcasts about the stories of the Tudors. My name's Tony Riches and I'm a historical fiction author from Pembrokeshire in Wales and I'm a specialist in the history of the Tudors. This podcast is the second in a series of three looking at the life of Queen Elizabeth I. I've followed the stories of the Tudors from the very first meeting between Owen Tudor and the widowed Queen Catherine of Valois and I'm now working on an Elizabethan series which explores the different facets of Elizabeth's complex personality through the eyes of her favourites and courtiers. In this podcast I'm exploring the myths and rumours surrounding the life of Queen Elizabeth, England's Gloriana, the Virgin Queen who reigned England and Ireland for 44 years from November 1558 until her death in 1603. She was the last monarch of the Tudor period and brought almost half a century of stability to England. But how much of what we know of her is a reflection of her own carefully controlled image or the prejudices of later historians? Much of the Rumour surrounds the question of whether Elizabeth really was a virgin queen and there are theories about at least four possible sons. At the age of 13, Elizabeth had her first proposal of marriage from Thomas Seymour who proposed by letter in February 1547 within a month of the death of her father Henry VIII. Now, Thomas Seymour was 25 years older than Elizabeth, although that wasn't um, terribly unusual for Tudor times. Uh, Elizabeth rejected his proposal, also by letter, saying she was too young. Instead, Thomas Seymour married the widow of Elizabeth's father, the Queen Dowager, Queen Catherine Parr. On the 11th of June, 1548, according to their servant, Thomas Parry, who was being questioned under oath. Catherine Parr discovered her husband and stepdaughter in a room alone together in a passionate embrace. And the next day, Elizabeth was sent to live with Lady Joan Denny at Cheshunton, Hertfordshire. She was the sister of Elizabeth's governess, Cat Ashley. And Catherine and Seymour went to Sudley Castle, Rumours began to circulate that Elizabeth was pregnant during this time. Uh, There isn't, of course, any evidence for this, although historian Anna Whitelock, in her book Elizabeth's Bedfellows, says Elizabeth was kept in seclusion and a local midwife claimed she'd been brought from her house blindfolded to assist a lady in a great house. She came into a candlelit room and saw on the bed a very fair young lady in labour. Interestingly, Elizabeth refused to admit or deny any relationship with Thomas Seymour. And, of course, he was beheaded on Tower Hill on the 20th of March, 1549. We'll never know if this story is true, but it's become part of the complex mix of myth and half-truth that surrounded Elizabeth all of her life. Another theory is that Francis Bacon was a son of the Queen and his father was Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester. Now, although Elizabeth never married, 
The pair's attraction to one another was widely commented on and their flirtatious behaviour shocked the court and, and foreign ambassadors. And when Robert Dudley's wife, Amy Robsart, was found at the bottom of her staircase with a broken neck on the 8th of September 1560, uh, speculation was rife about the involvement of the Queen and her favourite. Their close relationship continued despite this, but the whispered scandal made marriage impossible. And could it be that someone had found the perfect way to stop Dudley marrying the Queen? There is a story, which I've not really been able to find proper evidence of, that when Queen Victoria was staying at Wilton House, the Earl of Pembroke showed her a document which was claimed to be written evidence that in 1560 Elizabeth I married the Earl of Leicester in secret and at the time of the marriage the Queen was expecting a child. Queen Victoria allegedly put the document on the fire saying one must not interfere with history. It's suggested that Francis was the child and that he was given up at birth to Anne Bacon, who was Elizabeth's maid-in-waiting and raised in the care of Anne and her husband, Sir Nicholas Bacon. Now, Francis Bacon grew up to be a great philosopher, politician and writer, and people have pointed out that Francis Bacon bore no resemblance to Sir Nicholas Bacon, but he did look uncannily like the Earl of Leicester in Nicholas Hilliard's miniature portraits. And in fact, it's quite odd that um, Francis Bacon was painted by Hilliard in his youth, uh, given that he wasn't particularly well off. Because when his father died in 1579, he left Francis, who was his second son, nothing in his will. It's suggested that he assumed Queen Elizabeth would provide for Francis. Uh, I've looked into this and in fact he simply followed convention for the time by leaving everything to his eldest son Anthony Bacon. And for me the concern for Francis which is evident in the surviving letters from Anne Bacon are proof enough that she was his actual mother. Another rumour, which is known as the Prince Tudor theory, suggests that Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford, was Queen Elizabeth's lover, and they had a child who was raised as Henry Rothesley, the Earl of Southampton. Now, Rothesley was very much the uh, favourite of the Queen, and was allowed to get away with outrageous behaviour at court in a way that very few other people were, and um, still there's no real evidence of that. And by the way, there's another theory that the Earl of Oxford was himself a son of the Queen, so it seems that there was no end to the speculation. The fourth possible son claimed by various theorists was Robert Devereux, the Earl of Essex. And the proposed evidence for this is that Essex was known to often stay in the Queen's private apartments until the early hours of the morning. But there would, of course, be 
plenty of other explanations for this. Essex was undoubtedly the Queen's favourite and like Henley Rothesley was allowed to get away with all sorts of things. Um, his Tudor red hair, by the way, was inherited from his mother, Lettuce Knollys, through her mother, Catherine Carey, who was a daughter of Mary Boleyn. And that means, of course, that she was a sister to Anne Boleyn and possibly an illegitimate daughter of Henry VIII, which would make her Elizabeth's half-sister. One theory that refuses to go away is that Elizabeth was really a man. Now, the surprising champion of the theory was none other than Bram Stoker, author of the 1897 gothic horror novel Dracula. Bram Stoker's interest in this theory originated when he visited the village of Bisley in the Cotswolds and witnessed the village May Day celebrations where the May Queen was actually a boy dressed in Elizabethan clothing. Now, of course, we know that's not particularly unusual, but Stoker was intrigued by the tradition and included it in his 1910 book, Famous Impostors. The story is that at some point in her childhood, around 1543 or 1544, the young Elizabeth was sent to Bisley to escape the threat of the plague. Now, the king, Henry VIII, arranged to come and see his daughter, but shortly before he arrived, Elizabeth sadly fell ill and died, and her governess hid the child's body and persuaded a playmate of the princess, a pretty young child who could well be passed off as her. There was only one problem, he was a boy, and the story is that her deception worked so well it continued indefinitely and no one dared to tell the king. There's also a story that the real Elizabeth's body was hidden in a stone coffin for more than 300 years until some building work when it was discovered by the Reverend Thomas Keeble, who told his family that the coffin contained the remains of a young girl in Elizabethan dress. Um, hardly conclusive proof, but still, we have to remember that Bram Stoker was, of course, a professional storyteller who was skilled at blending the truth and facts, as he did with the Dracula myth. Um, this whole business of Elizabeth being a man is compounded for some historians by the fact that she wore wigs to hide premature baldness and that she used a lot of makeup and her dresses with a high neckline could be disguising a male figure. Now, there was various problems with this. Uh, wigs became really quite fashionable as a way of getting around um, having to prepare some of these complicated hairstyles. And there's a question mark about exactly how much makeup she used. And even if she did, um, it fits with the idea of her trying to preserve her youthful looks, particularly when meeting ambassadors. And the idea that all of her dresses had high necklines is dispelled by various accounts by ambassadors of the Queen having such a plunging neckline that it left little to the imagination. My own view is that such a secret would have been impossible to hide. 
Her ladies of the bedchamber washed and dressed her every day, and even when she called, answered the call of nature, she had attendants. And these ladies were not always Elizabeth's personal choice, as some were entitled to the position at court by their rank, others were the wives and daughters of the men Elizabeth needed favours from, and of course they changed over the years as they got married or retired, and the Queen had little privacy. So I believe the real conspiracy was to suggest that Elizabeth couldn't possibly have ruled as she did unless she was a man. There were multiple rumours during Elizabeth's reign that she was unable to bear children, and the Count de Fierro, advisor to Philip II of Spain, wrote in 1559 when Elizabeth was 25 years old, If my spies do not lie, which I believe they do not, for a certain reason which they have recently given me, I understand that she will not bear children. The courtier Sir Robert Terwitt wrote in 1549, I do verily believe that there hath been some secret promise between my lady Mistress Ashley, who was Elizabeth's governess, and the cofferer Sir Thomas Parry, never to confess to death. That's not terribly helpful because he doesn't actually say what the secret was. But Bram Stoker wasn't the only one to compare Elizabeth to a man. Her tutor, Roger Ascham, wrote in 1550, The constitution of her mind is exempt from female weakness, and she is endued with a masculine power of application. Simply put, she was far too clever to be a woman, and Elizabeth's refusal to see any other doctors but her own was seen as very suspicious. Even when she fell ill during house arrest at Woodstock, she refused to see anyone but her own doctors, and this reluctance for others to be allowed to examine her body and continued throughout her life, and she made it very clear that there was to be absolutely no post-mortem of her body after her death. Another suitor, Philip II, had heard rumours of her infertility and decided to find out the truth for himself by bribing her laundress for details. She reported that the Queen was functioning normally as a woman and satisfied she could bear him an ear, Philip unsuccessfully proposed to Elizabeth. When Queen Elizabeth died on the 24th of March 1603, her lady of the bedchamber refused to allow Elizabeth's body to be subject to a post-mortem. Now some argue that this was a way to safeguard the Queen's reputation as a virgin. Elizabeth had many favourites and close friends who were men, including Robert Dudley, Walter Raleigh, Francis Drake and Robert Devereux, to name just a few, as well as many prominent suitors, which included many of the crown rulers of Europe and their heirs. We may never know if Elizabeth had relationships with any of them, and there's no evidence to conclusively prove that she took lovers before or after taking the crown, so we can safely believe that she was the Virgin Queen. For further reading, I recommend Anna Whitelock's book, Elizabeth's Bedfellows, and my book, Drake, Tudor Corsair, is available from Amazon in paperback and ebook. And more information about all of my books can be found on my website 
at TonyRiches.com. Thank you for listening.